BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Lisa Pressman, and today I have with me Dr. Mariel Bouquet. She's an Afro-Dominican psychologist and world-renowned intergenerational trauma expert. Her new book, Break the Cycle, A Guide to Healing Intergenerational Trauma, is coming out in January. And I was so excited to have the opportunity to talk to her about intergenerational trauma, what it is, what it means to be a cycle breaker instead of a cycle keeper. We're talking about adverse childhood experiences. We're talking about systems that we can put into place to support families and to support ourselves. If you feel like you've got reactions or responses to things that come from a history that you don't want to continue to repeat, Dr. Bouquet talks about tools that you can use right now to shift the course. If you enjoy this episode, please let me know by giving a five-star rating or writing a little review with the specific episode you enjoyed. It helps spread the word about the podcast. Every time you do that, more people get to hear about it. And of course, you can sign up for my free newsletter, dralizapressman.substack.com and DM me as always on my Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcasts. And I try to answer your questions either directly through stories, through posts, and through my newsletter. Will you please define trauma? Mm, yes. I always love to get down to the nitty gritty of what a term is. So I, I appreciate you getting us started there. We could all be on the same page about it. Because trauma is one of those terms that, although beautifully so, I believe, we're throwing out in conversation a lot. And I say beautifully so because it's opening up dialogue, it's destigmatizing trauma, and it's giving us an opportunity to have these conversations. But trauma itself is the experience that we have when we have an event or a set of events that happen in our lives that tap out our capacities to cope. So we have an abundant amount. We are resilient beings, right, as humans. We have an abundant amount of resilience that we carry within us. However, there are some events that either are entirely too potent and powerful and hurtful or have been harmful for an extended period of time that make it so that our capacities to cope with that event or set of events feels like it's been maxed out. As a result, what tends to happen is that we start developing 
symptoms, which we now understand to be trauma symptoms. And those symptoms are, in essence, a reflection of our nervous system being in survival mode because that's the way that it learned to cope through adverse circumstances. Can you help us understand what intergenerational trauma is? Yes, absolutely. So intergenerational trauma is the only type of trauma that can actually be passed down a family line or down communities. And it is unique in that we need an intersection of two modes of transmission for intergenerational trauma to take place. That which is our biology and our psychology. And what I mean by our biology is that we have what we now know is this epigenetic transmission or epigenetic expressions of stress and trauma that get handed down the family line. Meaning that if you have parents that were in a state of chronic trauma or chronic stress, that their bodies are gonna register that they've been in that state of chronic trauma and chronic stress. And there's gonna be a genetic re-expression that their bodies are gonna register. Upon conception, when they make you as a baby at that very first moment of being conceived, there are genetic remnants or genetic expressions that come together and create you and develop within you an emotional vulnerability or a predisposition to stress and trauma. Now we have everything that happens thereafter, which is it, it's carried over into the category of psychology, which is what happens in utero. If the person that's carrying you in their belly is stressed, then the stress hormones that they're eliciting in their body start becoming a part of your lived experience as a, as a, as a fetus, as a baby, and you start registering, oh, the world is unsafe. There's a lot happening here. And the same starts to happen once you are born and things happen in the home. There are, let's say, hypothetically, maybe there's fights. There is a really adverse divorce that happens. There's oppression that's a part of your lived experience. There's bullying in school. There's a bad relationship that had toxic elements. And all of these things are now kind of poking at that emotional vulnerability that you were born into. And so the, the combination of all of these things makes it so that now you are the new bearer of intergenerational trauma. You had parents that were already in their own state of stress and trauma. The conception happened, you had the emotional vulnerability, and then thereafter you suffered your own circumstances that then pushed your nervous system into overdrive and into that survival mode. And now you are carrying the lineage of trauma. And I just want to remind everyone what you said at the beginning when you were talking about trauma so that there's no misunderstanding when you talked about, for example, the stressed out mother with a baby in utero. You're not talking about stress that is just part of our day to day. You're talking about chronic stress that that particular mother doesn't have the tools to cope with, which is not a criticism of that mother. It's whatever is going on, meaning their system has rejected that because it's too much or it's chronic or it's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And I say that only because I wouldn't want everyone to be thinking, oh my God, I had stress during that time or I've experienced, and I think we're going to get into what your lived experience is in the context of trauma is going to be different if you have a safe, secure, and supportive adult caregiver than if you're experiencing it alone. And that Mm -hmm. is obviously the most hopeful part of all of this is the, it's the 
positive side to how beautiful humans are, that we have so much capacity here to support mm-hmm. one another and ourselves. But I only just wanted to say that because in the beginning, when you were talking about trauma, you were not talking about just like stress that happens and then comes down. And we have the physiological and psychological mechanisms to bounce back from that. Absolutely. That's exactly it. So I really appreciate that disclaimer because we're talking about chronic states of being in survival mode, not day-to-day stress because we are built to actually metabolize stress and then bounce back from it, as you're saying. And then our nervous system is structured so that we enter into what we call the parasympathetic response, which is rest and recovery from having been in a state of stress. So we have that already baked into just our human form. However, when the experiences that you're having are so chronic or so abundantly harmful that they are not allowing you to enter rest and recovery, your nervous system is going to become frozen in a survival mode. And it's going to be very sensitive and tender to any kind of stress that's around, which is going to then promote more stress and create within you a default of being in a stressed body and in a stressed mind. So that's more of what we're talking about, being in that chronic state of overwhelming stress. And now a quick word about my sponsor, ZocDoc. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. There's just no need to play Russian roulette or scour the internet for doctors when you can go directly to ZocDoc and have a trusted guide to connect you to your favorite doctor that you haven't met yet. And millions of people use ZocDoc's free app to find and book a doctor in their neighborhood who's patient-reviewed and fits their needs and schedule and takes their insurance. So hard to find that. And even if you do get referrals from friends, it may not be the right location, the right timing, or taking your insurance. It's hard to find a fit, but it's so important to take care of your health. So go to ZocDoc.com slash humans and download the ZocDoc app for free and then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc.com slash humans. ZocDoc.com slash humans. You want to take care of your health. You need to take care of your health. And ZocDoc makes it just a little bit easier. And when things are a little bit easier, you are more likely to do them. That's zocdoc.com slash humans. ZocDoc.com slash humans. Thrive Market is my go-to for grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting it all quickly shipped to my doorstep, which is a huge time saver. I love anything that makes our lives just a little bit easier. And as a Thrive Market member, I can save money, and so can you, on every single order. On average, I save over 30% each time. So for example, my last order, I saved $30. And Thrive Market is great to find specialty foods too. For example, I had a house guest who does not eat gluten and all of the gluten-free brands were just right there on the Thrive Market shop. 
on top of the great brands and the massive savings on each order, Thrive Market has a deals page that changes daily, gives me cash back on so many brands, and they have a price match guarantee. The best part, when you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-to-one membership matching program. So you join and they give. Join Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash humans for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash humans, thrivemarket.com slash humans. I wonder if you can talk to us about adverse childhood experiences Mm -hmm. and help Put the lands, make the landscape clear about what that is. Because I think a lot of people don't know about adverse childhood experiences and how we measure that and what that is, you know, what that means for understanding how our experiences can shape our physical and mental health and how our generational experiences. And I think that's why it's so interesting to hear from you that it's not just about us and also. I feel like it's very, again, empowering when you know that it's, these are cycles we can break. But in order to do that, I'd love to set that landscape up. Yeah. So critical and part in the conversations around trauma to talk about adverse childhood experiences. For anybody who is unfamiliar, they're also, they're called ACEs as well. And ACEs are any kinds of experiences that are specifically a part of the lived experience that a child has that creates within them an experience of trauma or stress or that it's an overwhelming stress in their childhood life while they're still developing a lot of their coping mechanisms, their nervous system, their brain, and all these things that then in adult life we've been able to see can actually lead to this child having that emotional predisposition to stress and trauma and then developing trauma symptoms. In addition to that, we've also seen that ACEs have had a strong connection to physical disease and specifically metabolic diseases, autoimmune conditions, and a number of other diseases that are also stress-derived. So ACEs themselves fall into 10 categories. So it's an actual questionnaire that was developed decades ago. And within that questionnaire, there is a list of 10 questions, all of which cover a specific area of adverse uh, adversity or, or an, something that can cause traumatic stress for a child. And each of the areas is answered as a yes or no. And if there is a yes, then you gain a point in, in that area and it tallies up to 10 possibilities of you know, of having an ACE or ACEs. And the areas that are covered within the questionnaire are like divorce, a tragic death, the experiences of having had something that is medically derived, you know, or someone that that has like mental health, like kind of conditions in the family. There are a number of them. And so whichever of these then coincides with, with the lived experience of that child when they were still, you know, a kid, then we start mapping that to the experiences that they likely have around mental illness or mental discomfort when they're an adult. One of the problems is that if you ask the questions, you need to have a plan for what to do with the answers. And we didn't have, right? Like 
it's hard to say, okay, you have a score of five on this ACEs questionnaire. So you should know that this is going to be more painful for you. That these are the things that you might need support for. This is what you know, you you might also have poor health outcomes. You might also run into these challenges. Your children are more likely to, if you don't come to terms with this, good luck. Like mm-hmm. it feels like a very, it, so to me, and I'm so curious what you think. Like, I think that bringing trauma-informed care, take it or leave the phrase and the way it's done because it's not consistent and they're, you know, that's a whole other controversy, but thinking about beautiful, well-meaning trauma-informed care, but not knowing how to have enough resources to support families. How do you feel about that? Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm so torn about it because I think, well, we have this information. Like, we know that knowing is beneficial because then you can begin to reflect, get support, heal and break the cycle. But do we then like need to find systems in place before having those conversations or giving that instrument out? Or I don't know. What do you think? I have so many thoughts and I, I'm grateful that you posed the question. In part, I created this healing protocol around intergenerational trauma and written this book because of my frustrations as a clinician of not having the tools and my colleagues as well struggling as clinicians in these therapeutic spaces with layers of trauma coming into the spaces that we're, you know, therapizing and we're not having a delineated way of being able to help individuals transition from the pain. And when I was still working in hospital systems, I used to work at Columbia University Medical Center as a staff psychologist. And I, I recall the moment when we actually started introducing ACEs as a part of our comprehensive evaluation for incoming patients. And even then, we had individuals that would come in with histories where they would say, you know, I suffered a divorce, right? And so did my parents. And so did my parents' parents. And, or I have these attachment wounds and so did my parents. And so, you know, so like it just kept continuing to be a very similar experience throughout the family line. And it was almost kind of, even in our clinical team meetings, it was bypassed, not because people weren't wanting to attend to it, but because we didn't have the language as clinicians yes. to actually address it and to, to yeah. work with it. And so very often, even when we're integrating ACEs as a part of our analysis of what's happening in a person's life, we're not really given the tools as clinicians to be trauma-informed and trauma-responsive to then integrate that knowledge into what we do within the therapeutic context from there on out. And even with the, the language that we use around the ACEs, I, I don't think has been traditionally very helpful because for the most part, we tend to say, oh, well, I have a seven ACEs score. And so what does that mean? Right? Like we have to decontextualize that and like really like break it down. Yeah. <laughs> and and very often when we're actually providing the evaluations that integrate the ACE questionnaire, 
which is already very heavy to go through with someone, in addition to having that person rehash their history and some of the things that have caused them deep pain. This is usually at the point of evaluation, which is the first time that they're meeting you. They're trying to, you know, have a conversation about what's happened with a brand new person that they've never met before. And many times, especially in a hospital system, we're working with folks that have come in from having been hospitalized because they had a mental health crisis. And so it's a very vulnerable moment for a lot of people to then be telling their story. And then we, you know, have these conversations. And then the follow through, I don't think has really been there to the extent that it can be on a global scale in the health system. It's not anything against any individual system, but not at we all. Just haven't had, yeah, we haven't had it. There's no training around it that really comprises of, and what do we do in this very vulnerable moment? That's true. It's like this yeah. whole global system that is yeah. just really, this is really hard stuff. But on yeah. the flip side, I, and that's what I want to get to. So many of us don't know about what's out there and what, how much our history and our family history does shape us physiologically in our brain architecture and in our psychology. But now I want to get to the heartening part, which is that this healing is possible. But from the perspective of the listener who needs to understand this, will benefit from this and who may not be able to get the most wonderful trauma-informed therapeutic experience, but they have, there's so much hope. Mm -hmm. There really is hope. And I wouldn't be doing this work and writing, writing takes takes a lot of effort and energy and time and dedication, right? Like I wouldn't write a book about this if I didn't feel like we could heal. And if I didn't see it with my own eyes, and I've worked with individuals, children, and families, and I've seen the work in vivo really transition people from being a shell into living out loud in their light and their brightness, and even children. And when it's children, it's so much more special because you, there's as a clinician, you understand, wow, we literally just reconfigured their history, what the future is for this person, because we've been able to work with them at a moment where they're, we're all neuroplastic, right? But there is, there is something about like the foundational setup for a child for their adult life to look different because we've done the work so early on. And I say that also to, to help any parents listening or parents to be understand that even if there have been moments when you've felt like I have, I've been a cycle keeper. I have not been a cycle breaker. There is still opportunity for you to reverse the cycle and for you to break into it and for you to establish for yourself a new foundation and establish a new foundation for anybody who is of your descendants. So I think that that's the beauty of the intergenerational healing, that it brings in the element of our intergenerational resilience and how resilient we are, how resilient children are, and how they also embody the resilience that you have embodied and that has kept you upright as as a human that has then translated that to them, right? Because it's easy to talk about, oh, you you know, they've inherited like, you know, trauma, genetic expressions and all these things, but there's also epigenetic preparedness and the ways in which we prepare them for the experiences that they're going to face because 
of the ways in which our genes are transmuted forward because of the ways that we model resilience. And so there's, there's a lot of hope to be had for sure. And so there's a lot I can say in terms of what's the structure of what this healing can look like, but I love that we started off with the, the element of hope. And now a little break so I can tell you about Quility. Around 75% of consumers greatly overestimate the cost of a life insurance policy, when in reality, it could only be $20 to $30 a month based on what type of coverage you need, which we all want to see because there's absolutely no price I wouldn't pay to make sure that my humans are taken care of emotionally, mentally, and of course, financially. Quillity was co-founded by a working mom and partner, so they get it. Life is busy and raising good humans can be chaotic. Quillity makes it easy to apply from anywhere you have Wi-Fi connection, in the carpool pickup line, on your way to the office, or in your daily walk around the neighborhood. If you are raising little humans, that means you're most likely paying for them, whether it's daycare, meals, clothes, or all of the above. And kids depend on their guardian's income and care to stay safe and healthy. And I know it's a terribly hard thing to think about, but life insurance can guarantee that that income continues even if something were to happen to you or your partner unexpectedly. This could even mean just an illness or an injury. In any of these unexpected scenarios, life insurance could help cover your mortgage and general daily living expenses. A lot of us just hear life insurance and close up because it's so unpleasant to think about, but it's actually a really responsible way to feel secure with having a family. Quillity has created a special life insurance guide just for Raising Good Humans listeners. So visit quillity.com slash humans to learn more and match with your perfect policy. That's Q-U-I-L-I-T-Y dot com slash humans for more information. What are you waiting for? It's time to protect your humans and it's affordable. Okay, so if you can believe it, every 11 seconds, a baby in America gets a food allergy. But this has been something that's been growing and growing my entire adult life, and it just doesn't need to be that way. Evidence-based research, USDA guidelines, and leading allergists all agree that introducing common food allergens early is important for all babies. And Ready, Set Food's early allergen introduction system takes the guesswork and the stress out of doing something really important, the long-term health of your baby, and just makes the way you do it so easy that you don't have to panic. Anyone who has ever been the primary person in charge of feeding a baby knows that it can be so scary to get those first allergen introductions. I remember the first time I did it, I called one of my colleagues who's a pediatrician and I was like, do you think that I could do this like with you there? Because I just was nervous. We have allergies in the family and I just wanted extra support. Ready, Set Food was developed by an allergist and a mom of two to make it easy safe and convenient to regularly feed babies low doses of the most common food allergens like peanut, egg, and milk starting early. Early and persistent exposure is the key. These have been the newer guidelines from leading medical organizations, but putting them into practice is now so much easier with Ready, Set, Food. So visit readysetfood.com human to learn more and get exclusive discounts on these awesome early allergen introduction products. When you are supporting someone in breaking the cycles, Mm -hmm. how do you help them understand what the cycle is? Mm, Wow. Excellent question. Now we have within our generation, 
what I call intergenerational privilege of having access to the understanding that trauma, emotional trauma specifically, occurs, that it has been prominent in our families and that there have been trauma responses that have been in our families. So my approach is always to start people with first settling their nervous system, first settling their bodies and helping their bodies to be in a place that feels as safe as can be. And then we transition into a lot of the the language around, well, what happened? What happened to you? What happened to the generations of who you are, right? And all of those things. So the preparation work first starts off with helping the person to feel a sense of safety. And then it transitions into the history and the understanding of, okay, how do we work through these things? Which is very antithetical to like what I mentioned, you know, we would do or we tend to do kind of in in traditional psychotherapy or in hospital settings where we're like, what brings you in? And we get straight into the story and there isn't any settling (laughs) that happens. Right. Mm -hmm. So the person is like, you know, outpouring and then they have this emotional hangover when they leave your office because they're feeling all the feels, right? So whenever it comes to people, you know, starting to unpack the generation, we start off by really... I build intergenerational trauma trees. I get very visual with folks. In my book, I get very visual as well, just to orient the reader around, you know, well, this is the mapping of your of the roots of your pain. And it also can be helpful if they start wanting to share it with others, that they can also share visual aids and elements of what the pain has looked like in the family line and even what resilience has looked like in the family line. The work really tends to start looking a bit like that so that we can have a very good foundation and that the person doesn't do what psychologically a person will do, myself and anyone else, which is run in the other direction and avoid because it feels too painful to touch the topic, which is a lot of what older generations have done, right? Like their method of survival has been avoidance strategies, which has kept them upright and we're grateful for them for their intuitive knowing of what to do to hold themselves up and still have burgeoning families despite the fact that they've undergone so much pain. And then also, you know, like I mentioned, we have that intergenerational privilege that offers us an opportunity to have even tiny conversations, right, that can liberate some of the pain that has been there and has been kind of stuck for generations. So what are some of the ways in feeling like you want to draw that out? What are some of the ways that you can lightly welcome someone to feel safe to have a conversation? Well, I do a number of different practices within my practice within the book. And some of those are some of the ones that we've been, in essence, kind of learning throughout society here and there, even though I think they're kind of just tossed out there, like deep breathing, I think is tossed out there. It's like, take a breath, right? But in reality, it's very casual these days. And also, again, I, I will say, thank you world for helping us to destigmatize the breath and meditation and mindfulness and all these ways in which we can develop and, and, and become, you know, better versions of ourselves. And I think we have to understand how to do that in order to settle the body, to prepare it for trauma-based work, which is very, very critical and specific 
I take at the very minimum a period of about five minutes in introducing breath work into the work with someone. And I don't just introduce breath work, I layer it with other mechanisms of regulating their nervous system. Like we understand that there are certain ways in which we can elicit that parasympathetic central vagal response that we know about. And some of those are rocking. Rocking is one of my favorites, right? Because if we have enough mobility to rock, then we have the capacity to integrate that into the breath and create an even more powerful version of that nervous system relaxation response which is really critical for people that have been stuck in survival mode for decades. If you're stuck in survival mode for decades, it's quite possible that us introducing the breath will not suffice. We will have to introduce the breath, rocking, and potentially as a third aspect of the practice, we'll have to introduce humming as well. And so I start with a very tiered, compounded, layered version of nervous system regulation with every person that I work with. And I also guide them, right? My words are also guiding with words that have an intergenerational element so that they have an understanding of what's happening and transpiring in their bodies, but also that the healing isn't just being done for them, but for the people that came before them who didn't have the privilege and the access to healing. And then for the people that come after them, their descendants, their children, their children's children, that are also going to be benefiting from the care that they're depositing into themselves in that very moment. And if there's a parent who's listening, who feels like they know they get reactive, mm-hmm. something sets them off and they just want to stop yelling and it just keeps happening. I mean, I don't know if this is comfortable for you, but would you be comfortable showing an example of breathing, rocking, humming? I mean, I don't know how you can show that while on a podcast, but if there's some version of that that we can give as a tool and they can understand what you mean. And second, I just want to reiterate that when you're talking about the parasympathetic nervous system, as you mentioned, I think just so people can connect the dots, you're talking about like that part of the nervous system that goes into the relaxation mode. So for those of you who were wondering what that was about, this is really about shifting us from a a state of distress to a state of being able to really, I mean, relax would be great, but even function. Mm -hmm. And I will say also for the parents that are listening, right, that this is also something that you can do with your kids. And that's the beauty of this work is that it can be intergenerational in that way. Part of what I reflect in the book as as far as the parenting practice is concerned is for parents to actually introduce children into a a a way to regulate their nervous system even before they need it. Because when life gets to be life, they're going to default to the tools that they already have in their back pocket. And if they've already learned at home to regulate their nervous system because they're seeing that model being new, then that's what they're going to default to. And they're going to be able to actually help themselves not get into a trauma response when life gets immensely stressful but instead metabolize the stress and move on from it. And it's a beautiful, beautiful moment of intergenerational healing that can happen even before they need it. And then we can feel so, yes, we're, we are moving that, we're paying that forward to the future. Yes, and it's so beautiful. So I, I'd love to get us into a couple seconds of what, what I tend to do so that 
we can have a little bit of a snippet here. So usually I invite someone to just sit comfortably wherever they are, just snuggle into their seats, it's important. And, you know, just feel themselves just kind of as they are, as you are, right? And and take in just a gentle breath, nothing that's forced, but something gentle, just to allow your body to settle in just a little bit more. And if it feels safe, if it feels right, lowering your gaze or closing your eyes to the floor, wherever it feels okay for you to do. And so what we're going to do is that we're going to just gently rock the body from side to side. So just rock whatever side you decide from side to side, very gentle, very slow, side to side. And your next rock, I'd like for you to inhale in deeply and exhale. Inhale in and exhale. Try one more time. And then in the following inhale, I'd like for you to exhale by humming. So we're going to go inhale in and hum. Mm -hmm. Inhale in and hum. Mm -hmm. We're just going to take in a final breath. Inhale in and release all the breath. Come back to center when you're ready. Open your eyes and we welcome you back. Ah, thank you. Of course. And that's about 60 seconds of what could be 10 minutes together. And if you could imagine 10 minutes of that, we are in a completely different place in terms of emotional energy and groundedness. I'm even in a different place from the one minute. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good to hear. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.